And the sermon for today is Jesus in prophecy. Jesus in prophecy. Some of this stuff you know if you've been around the church and you've been a Christian for a while. Some of this stuff you may not know. In an interview uh, with a magazine in the 1950s, an agnostic, very well-known agnostic and author, whose name is Bertrand Russell, he wrote a book entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. And in it, he asked, what, he was asked in an interview later on, what would it take for Bertrand Russell to believe in God? Good question to ask an atheist or an agnostic. And here's what his response was, quote, I think that if I heard a voice from the sky predicting all that was going to happen to me during the next 24 hours, including events that would have seemed highly improbable, and if all these events then proceed to happen, then I might be convinced, at least, of the existence of some supernatural, superhuman intelligence. I can imagine other evidence of the same sort which might convince me, but as far as I know, no such evidence exists. Okay, you went on record saying that, Bertie. I've got some things to put on your record. Jesus indirectly answered Russell and all the skeptics of his day that a voice from heaven had predicted many things and they have undeniably come to pass. In John 5, 39, 40, 46, and 47, Jesus says, search the scripture. The Old Testament writings are called the scripture. They were written by hand, script, you know. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Verse 40, and you will not come to me that you might have life. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Verse 47, but if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? In other words, if you don't believe the authorities of the time, if you don't believe the very ancestors whom you regard and respect and idolize, if you can't believe them, why would you believe me? Jesus says, you religious teachers search the scripture because you think it gives you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. If you really believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. You have no excuse to reject me as Messiah. It wasn't only Moses who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote about the coming Messiah. The facts that are there are over 300 references to the Messiah in the Old Testament. And they were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. These hundreds of references are seeded from Genesis to Malachi. They're in the first book of the Bible, of the Old Testament, and they're in the last book of the Old Testament. They were the source of hope for Jews for thousands of years. They put their hopes on these promises of a Messiah. In the religion, religions book published by DK Books, on page 178, this is what he, says, what he says about the Messiah. Quote, throughout much of their recorded history, the people of Israel were ruled by kings. The ruler was referred to as the anointed one, or in Hebrew, Messiah. Over time, it came to refer to a specific ruler who would arise in the future and rescue Israel from its enemies, ushering in a golden age, the Messianic age. Jewish scholar Moses Maimonides, I know the hospital in Brooklyn, Maimonides, Moses Maimonides lived between 1135 A.D. and 1204. He said this, King Messiah, the Son of Man, will arise in the future and will restore the kingdom of David to its ancient condition. Well, 
the Messiah had already come a thousand years previous, and the Messiah will return at a date we are not certain of and don't even know. This morning we'll explore several of the 300 prophecies that amazingly, precisely, specifically, and miraculously point to the Messiah as only one person in history, and that's Jesus Christ. Now here's where the 26 come in, and you can share them up here on PowerPoint. 26 prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus in the New. Number one, he would be born of a woman. Now, that doesn't sound too unusual, except we're not talking about an unusual birth. birth. We're talking about a supernatural and unusual birth. So he was born by a a woman. Secondly, he was born of a virgin. That makes it even more miraculous and more more of an amazing thing. God is his father, not a man, not Joseph. Joseph was his legal father, but Jesus, but God was his actual literal father. He was born Jewish. That's important to know. He was born in the lineage of King David. That's listed in all those begots in Matthew and all those begots going through the Old Testament. You can see that King David was in Jesus' ancestry. That he, was, he would be born in Bethlehem. You're getting very specific. Things we can see and document. He was presented with gifts. We know about the wise men. And we know they brought gifts. That was prophesied. That was predicted 750 years before it happened. He was God and existed forever. His name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's what they named him. He would be preceded by a messenger. Anybody know who that was? John the Baptist. This was predicted that Jesus would have a man of John's caliber, character, and qualities. Looks just like him in the Old Testament. Turns out that that's who it is in the New Testament. He would perform miracles. And that's Jesus' whole life. He healed people just by touch or by a word. But most of the time, his healing was tactile. He wanted to touch humanity. He wanted to touch you where you were. He wanted to let you know that he cared. There were no hospitals. There was no real medicine to speak of. I was watching one of those black and white uh, westerns on television the other day. And this guy comes in all shot full of holes. And the doctor said, hang on a minute, I'm gonna help you. And the doctor goes to a cabinet, gets a bottle of whiskey, pours it out. (laughs) This is it. (laughs) You're bleeding. You're in pain. You're croaking. Here, have a, have a little whiskey. That's all they had. They didn't have much of anything else. So Jesus comes, and he offers the only help he can, complete healing. And let me say that everyone whom Jesus attempted to get healed was healed. There were no hits, runs, and errors. It was all hits, all home runs. He would teach in parables. This is a particular way of teaching, giving illustrations so you could visualize as well as hear what it was he was trying to share. He would ride into Jerusalem, not only on on, on a particular day, but on the back of a donkey. It happened. We call it Palm Sunday. He He would be raised from the dead. He would be betrayed by a friend. He was Judas. Sometimes the people closest to you can get in there and they can betray you. And he was betrayed by Judas. But it isn't just stopping there. 
He was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Who would betray him? How he betrayed him? Why he betrayed him? And for how much? The money that, that was gotten, the 30 pieces of silver, was used to bury Judas. Was used for a grave. Jesus was forsaken by his disciples. You remember the account in the garden where he said to his disciples, look, I'm in a lot of pain emotionally. I'm going to go and pray, but please pray with me. Does anybody remember what they did? They fell asleep. Gee, boy, are they faithful. <laughs> it's sometimes the way people are. When you need them the most, they're not here. And his disciples just weren't there. Predicted, prophesied, promised. Jesus knew it when he asked them to pray with him what was going to happen. His hands and his feet, when he was on the cross, he was, they were pierced. He was crucified with thieves, not in the best possible company. He forgave his persecutors. After all of this, he still had compassion and love to say, Father, forgive them. These people have no idea what they're doing. When was the last time we had that kind of a heart of forgiveness? His garments were parted and lots were cast for them. People wanted the robe. People wanted this. They wanted that. Bones of his body would not be broken. His side would be pierced. And finally, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Faced with such overwhelming evidence for messianic prophecy as a proof text for both Christ and the Bible, some critics say these prophecies were written at or after the time of Jesus and therefore fulfill themselves. Here's history. History informs that 450 B.C. is the date for the completion of the Old Testament, 450 years before Christ. But if you're a skeptic and a liberal scholar, you date it at 250 B.C. In other words, nothing could be added to the Old Testament. Nothing could be added to the Scriptures after 250 because somebody put the punctuation mark. So that means that any of these prophecies that were made were made at least 250 years in the minds of liberals, 250 years before the actual events occurred. Is that a coinky-dinky? I don't think so. Critics say Jesus fulfilled the prophecies by accident. I don't know how that happens. Critics say Jesus intentionally fulfilled the prophets. Critics say the gospel writers fabricated the details. Critics say the gospels misinterpret the prophecies. Critics say psychics have successfully predicted the future. But the more closely you examine the argument made by cynics and critics of biblical prophecy, you will find those predictions cannot be simply explained away. A classic study done years ago demonstrates, quote, the odds against fulfilling the prophecies by accident or coincidence would be staggering. Quoting from his book, Science Speaks by Moody Press, professor of science, Dr. Peter W. Stoner, worked with 600 students to come up with their best estimate of the mathematical probability of just eight Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in any one person living to the present time. In other words, they did a study. How much coincidence and how much accident and how much could it be or is this or the number so overwhelming it couldn't be any of those things it had to be for real so here's what they came up with 
Taking all eight prophecies together, they calculated the odds at one chance in one chance in a hundred million billion of all eight of these prophecies being true at the same time about one person. This is the equivalent to the, to the number of a one and a half inch square tiles it would, be, it would take to cover every bit of dry land on the planet. And then having one person pick the one tile with a hidden X on the back. That seems kind of tough. You want to put, put your money on that? But the odds are so much more staggering and the truth of the accuracy of prophecy and your Bible more miraculous than these odds because there are only about eight prophecies. And there are literally hundreds more. Josh McDowell writes in his book, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, quote, prophecy is sound evidence for the accuracy of the Bible. Then I want you to look at the, look at the next sentence and I want you to embed it in your mind. It doesn't take blind faith to believe God's word. It takes simple faith in the evidence it provides. Amen? Now I want you to read that with me. Ready? It doesn't take blind faith to believe God's word. It takes simple faith in the evidence it provides. There's enough there for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you want to use the word bet, bet your life. Because whether you realize it or not, that's exactly what people are doing. They're pegging their life on the idea there is no God, and Jesus was a fraud or a myth or a tale of a good man instead of who he is. Prophecy demonstrates God, not man, wrote the Bible. Prophecy demonstrates the fact of God. That God exists. How could these things be if it wasn't what the Bible says? That God who knows all things. Prophecy authenticates the deity of Jesus Christ. Some prophecy concerning Jesus has not been fulfilled in 2023. And there's more to come. So these were the Old Testament prophecy we've been talking about. The things that pointed to Jesus. Now they point back to Jesus. And we see that all of them were true and they came true. They happened. They're accurate. Christians are most familiar with the first coming of Christ to earth and all the prophecies spelled out in the Old Testament. But it's the second coming to earth that is the focus of prophetic scripture. In other words, what's going to happen with Jesus. We know what happened with Jesus. Now we're going to find out what's going to happen with Jesus. But it's the second coming that focuses on that. References to the second coming outnumber the first by a factor of eight to one. As many prophecies that we just talked about, there's eight times more prophecies about the second coming of Jesus in the New Testament. Scholars count 1,845 references in Scripture to the second coming, including 318 in the New Testament. His return is emphasized no less than 17 Old Testament books and seven out of every 10 in the New Testament. So the idea, the teaching, the belief that Jesus is going to come again is throughout the scripture and focuses in, in the New Testament. And Jesus referred, uh, Zechariah, the prophets foretold the second coming of Christ. Zechariah 14.4 says, his feet 
shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, pinpointing the exact location to which he will return. Jesus referred to his return 21 times. Our opening scripture this morning, John 14, 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. Troubled this morning? Your heart hurt this morning? Difficulties hanging over your head this morning? Confused? Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let anxiety get you down. Don't let it get a handle on you. Don't let depression hold you by the throat. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Let me show you the future for a minute. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You've got a place in heaven with your name on it. You've got a forwarding address. Something is in reserve for you. You already got the flight all marked out. And I think you got first class seats too. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare that place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. We're going to be with Jesus forever in heaven. Amen. Looking forward to it? Could care less? I don't think so. I think we care a great deal. It's our hope. It's our anticipation. It's what we expect. It's the good news we can share with those in our life. The angels announced that he would announce that he would return. As the apostles uh, saw Jesus ascend in heaven, an angel said to them in, April, in Acts 1.11, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you in heaven shall come in like manner as you have seen him go in heaven. They watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And then they said, the angel said, well, don't be too concerned because he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back through the sky, through the clouds. A trumpet will sound. A voice will, will sound. And those who are believers in Jesus Christ will be pulled out of this world. We call it the rapture. Rapture means to be taken out, taken away. And we're going to ascend into heaven to be with the Lord. The apostle was inspired to write, the apostle John was inspired to write the book of Revelation, a, a revelation, a book which is the what, how, when, and why of Christ's second coming. And here's what he writes. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. This is going to be an event that everyone will see during the tribulation, during the difficult times. We shouldn't be there. The Bible says that the believers will be caught up before that, but we're going to see a lot of the pieces of the puzzle coming together before we get out of here. I think we're seeing them now, amen? I think we're living in the last days. I know people have talked about it for many, many years that way, but we've got a lot more evidence to support those statements today. For the believer, the knowledge of prophecy, one, provides hope and joy in affliction. Because you know what the future holds. Because you know the rest of the story. You should take comfort in these things. Secondly, it will encourage you to live a holy life. Live a holy life. Why? Because so much hangs on your testimony. So much hangs on what people who live near you, the people who know you, so much hangs on how you share Jesus with them.
And if you're silent about it, and if you don't tell anybody about it, and you, and you think that you're a secret agent, God don't got no secret agents. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why would you want to keep it to yourself? Why would you want to keep these wondrous things we've talked about so far this morning? Why would you want to keep that to yourself? Third, he gives facts, the script that prophecy gives facts about the afterlife and death. Again, you shouldn't, you shouldn't let the idea of, of the afterlife frighten you because you know what's going to happen. You know where you're heading if you put your faith in Jesus. You know what it means to live forever with him. Fourth, it gives us the truth about the end of history. Most people have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. As a result, they live however they want. Nobody who's outside of the Bible really knows what's going to happen. They, still, they try to speculate about it. You know that, right? And they've missed so many of the keys and so many of the clues because they're not Bible believers. I mean, we've been given so much detailed evidence about what's going to happen in these last days that nobody can deny it. Fifth, it gives proof of the reliability of all the Scripture. The number of prophecies that have come to pass precisely as predicted. You can't ask for anything more. If only I could see God. If God would only show himself. He has. He does. And it's up to you to see him. Amen, somebody. You want to see God? You want to see what he's, what he's all about? Everything we know about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is right here. Study it. I've been doing that since I've been about 15. Those 30 years have gone by so fast, let me tell you. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, speaking of prophecy, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The words of prophecy, not, for, not to frighten you, but to comfort you and strengthen your grip. And the final thought is, we're in good hands with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the prophecies and the promises that are found in Scripture. They relate to us. It's 2023. We're talking about things that have happened 2,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago and 4,000 years ago, but they are as relevant to us as just standing behind this sacred desk and speaking them. And we thank you, Lord, for those truths. We thank you we can trust your word. We thank you we can trust Jesus. We thank you we can trust answered prayer. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you above all. In Jesus' name, amen.